The Fourth Sunday in Lent, March 22nd, 2020. Our Bible verse for the week is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Please close your eyes and imagine our sanctuary around you, the smooth pew beneath you, the shuffles and whispers of those around you, the light slanting in through the stained glass windows. Place yourself there in your mind. We are not there in person, but God can help us feel there in spirit. Creator, we adore you. Christ, we love you. Holy Spirit, you are so precious to us. Open our hearts and spirits now to the wonder of your holy presence as we settle in for a new kind of worship. The greeting and call to worship taken from Psalm 95. O come, let us make a joyful noise to the Lord. Let us cry out to the rock of our salvation. O come, Let us worship and bow down. May we kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For the Lord is a great God, for he is our God, and we are his people. Amen. Let us pray. From the words of St. Augustine of Hippo. O Lord, the house of my soul is narrow. Enlarge it that you may enter it. It is ruinous. Oh, repair it. It displeases your sight. I confess it, I know. But who shall cleanse it? To whom shall I cry but to you? Cleanse me from my secret faults, O Lord, and spare your servant from strange sins. The house of my soul is narrow, O Lord. Enlarge it that you may enter it. Amen. For the time of our opening hymn this morning, I'm going to read the words from How Great Thou Art, number 77 in our hymnal. I'll read verses 1, 3, and 4. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I, I hear the rolling thunder, they po- the, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. 
then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Please join together with me now in reciting our confession of faith, the Apostles' Creed. Let us say what we believe and believe what we say. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, the light of your truth, found in your word, dispels all of our darkness. May this season of Lent, this season of repentance, bring to us the gift and the blessing of the gift of your light, your word, your truth. Grant this through Christ our Lord and all God's children say, Amen. Our epistle reading for this morning is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. I will allow just a couple moments so that folks who might have their Bibles ready can turn there or to find the scripture on their phones. Romans 5, verses 6 through 10. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if, we were, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. Our Gospel reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 5 through 30, and then verses 39 through 42. So Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew... Ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria. Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, 
If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, I have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, I will proclaim, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people there, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our sermon title for this morning is Chock Full of Them. And it's talking about how this scripture is chock full of surprises. The story we just heard, a story talking about, a a story about Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman at the well outside of a place called Sychar, is a story which is chock full of surprises. The first surprise is found in the fact that this conversation happens at all. Now, it may not seem so strange to us as modern-day listeners that Jesus took a moment or two and passed the time of day with a woman who was drawing water from a public well. 
But in ancient Middle Eastern times, during the era of Christ's life, the barriers to this conversation were many. For one thing, Jesus is a Jew, and the woman he chats with is a Samaritan. In that time period, there was a wall of separation between Samaritan and Jew. Not a physical wall like the one that divided Berlin or the Great Wall in China, but there existed a social and cultural wall of separation nonetheless. An invisible wall of expectation. An unseen wall just as powerful and just as real as the unseen walls of our own lifetime. Like the American wall of segregation which separates the black from white or the imperceptible wall which separates Israelites from Palestinians in the Middle East today. Between the Jews and Samaritans, there was a long history of pain, of humiliation, and of sometimes violence. And what lay behind all of that was a pervasive, an aching, a deeply set sense of betrayal. You see, the Jews and Samaritans are related peoples, They carried a connection. Both of them are Hebrews and both came from the same roots and ancestry. But time had passed and things had changed and they no longer did things alike, worshiped the same or considered themselves as related in any way. An invisible but powerful wall had been built between them. To make a very long story short, the Samaritans are from the old northern kingdom of Israel while the Jews are from the old southern kingdom of Judah. And the Bible tells us much about how these people from these kingdoms did not see eye to eye. For one, the Samaritans intermarried with non-Jewish peoples, and in doing so, they diluted their culture, so to speak. While the Jews, in general, the Jews did not marry outside the faith and kept their own culture mostly undiluted and pure. The Jews considered the Samaritans' practice of marrying outside peoples as disobedience to Scripture and disobedience to God. Eventually, the groups disagreed enough that they separated completely from one another, and it came to be that each group ended up with their own temple for worship. The Samaritans had a temple on Mount Gerizim and worshipped there, The Jews had theirs on Mount Zion and Jerusalem and, of course, worshipped there. As is common with people, both groups thought that they were in the right. Both held to their beliefs and traditions, and there was rarely any intermixing of the two. And so it is a strange choice that Jesus makes. The choice to travel through Samaritan territory and the fact that he strikes up a conversation with a Samaritan Well, that's even stranger. And there's something else that makes this conversation beside the well a surprise. In that place and time, unrelated men and women were not really supposed to talk to each other in public. I mean, it happened, of course, but it was not considered proper, especially when the man like Jesus is a rabbi and a teacher, someone looked up to as an example of propriety. And thus the disciples, when they return, they are astonished to see that Jesus is speaking with a woman alone. Now, as I've said, the one he speaks to is a Samaritan and a woman. And if this isn't enough, there is something else that's surprising going on. 
This Samaritan woman is also likely someone who is, in some manner of speaking, a person who is rejected by her own people, or at least she is a woman who chooses on her own to avoid the company of others. We can guess this fact through a couple of the scripture's details. Firstly, the text tells us that the Samaritan woman comes to the well to draw water at noontime. And secondly, the text tells us that she comes to this well alone. And both these choices go against the norm of the day. For one thing, noon is the hottest time of the day. Morning and evening are the traditional times to do the hard work of drawing water from the well and hauling it all the way home. In addition, this is just the sort of work that women have done all over the world and throughout history. This is just the sort of work that women have done in the company of other women. Because going to draw water together offers an opportunity for fellowship and friendship, an opportunity for for teamwork and social interaction. Yet this woman goes to the well at a time when others are unlikely to be there, at a time when she will be alone. Apparently, she considers herself an outsider, or others perhaps have given that label to her. She's likely purposefully avoiding other people, avoiding their company because it is easier and more comfortable to just be alone. It is a surprise, therefore, that this conversation ever happens at all that she is even there at that moment, that Jesus consents to talk to a woman, a questionable and solitary woman, a woman that is a Samaritan, when he himself is a Jewish rabbi. And these scriptures come before these two people even open their mouths to speak. And then what they say, the conversation itself, well, it contains more than one surprise of its own. For example, it's a surprise that Jesus promises living water. Likely, the Samaritan woman was thoroughly confused by this claim. Now, living water is a water that flows, that runs, that sparkles. You see, in common phrasing, the term living water meant flowing water. It meant moving and fresh water. As in the coursing waters of a river or the bubbling waters of an active spring. Living waters were a welcome change from water and wells or cisterns, waters that were usually flat and stale and sometimes even stagnant. Living waters would not have meant to the woman that well water which they started out discussing and were standing beside. So Jesus and the woman met beside an ancient well that's more than a hundred feet deep and seven feet wide, and Jesus starts talking about living waters. At first, the woman presumes that Jesus is talking about some hidden stream or something that he knows about, a a stream perhaps that is far better than this well before them. Naturally, she likes this idea. Obviously, she'd like to be able to access fresh and sweet drinking water every single day, and who can blame her? But she is misunderstanding his meaning, which we know is an easy thing to do when Jesus starts talking. What Jesus is really promising her here is a source of life in her heart, a new purpose for her spirit and rhythm in her soul, a new love and life as she welcomes in the spirit of the living God. Yet while she is initially confused by what he says and by what he offers, she shows herself to be a rare kind of person. 
insightful and willing to change, as she instinctively and intuitively understands that what he is offering is something else entirely and is something else that she desperately needs. After this discussion of living water, we are faced with another surprise in that Jesus seemingly knows all the details of this stranger's life. These personal details remain unclear to us as the audience, but apparently this woman has had a painful and unhappy time. Surprisingly, she has had five husbands. Did the marriages end through death or divorce or desertion? Were they truly marriages or something else? Why is her current husband not considered truly her husband by Jesus? Historically, preachers have cast her as some kind of prostitute or woman of loose morals and ill repute. This blame laying has been done for so long that we can easily fall into the habit of just assuming that she is. And she may have been. However, if we look closely at the story, there is nothing there to say she is at fault in these situations. So we don't have answers to these questions. And perhaps that's part of the point. Maybe we're not supposed to have answers. We don't need them. What we do need to know is that this woman feels alone and keeps herself apart from others. And we can easily imagine that she has looked for stability and acceptance from others and has been left standing on her own in a hostile social environment. The woman is surprised that Jesus knows the truth about her. She is even more shocked that knowing the truth, this Jewish rabbi seems to accept her. For this solitary Samaritan woman, this is truly an encounter with the divine. And she quickly understands that more than merely a teacher, this man must be a prophet. And so we come to yet another surprise. The woman then quickly sees beyond herself and her own troubles and moves to ask Jesus something of a political question. She speaks to the invisible wall we talked about in the beginning. She asks Jesus to resolve the long-standing and divisive question of who is right in their worship of the one true God, the Jews or the Samaritans. Where is the correct temple, she asks, Jerusalem or Jerusalem? Another surprise comes when Jesus raises the issue to a next level by claiming that true worship will no longer depend upon location, but will be a matter of spirit and truth. Did you hear that? True worship will no longer depend upon location, but will be a matter of spirit and truth, a very powerful word in our current context, wouldn't you say? Let me repeat it one more time. True worship will no longer depend upon location, but will be a matter of spirit and truth. But back to the scripture. This conversation then ends with the greatest surprise of all. You see, the woman confesses her faith in the Messiah who is to come, and Jesus admits to her that he is that Messiah. This is a surprise. Jesus reveals his identity not to his disciples, not to his own people, not to their religious leaders, but to this person who was considered unacceptable three times over as a Samaritan, as a woman, 
and as something of an exile among her own kind. We do not even know her name, yet Jesus entrusts her with his deepest secret, the truth of who he is. Even more surprising, this is the only time Jesus makes such a claim to his identity in the rest of John's gospel. Their conversation ends because the disciples come back from their trip to the city to buy food. But the surprises do not end. For the woman leaves her water jar there at the well and runs back into the city. There in Sychar, she tells the people to come and see Jesus. Come and see the man who told me everything I have ever done. Can he be the Messiah? Soon a large crowd follows her out to the well. These people people who had previously avoided and shunned this woman likely, these people have accepted the woman's testimony and they are coming to Jesus. Maybe it's surprising to some of us that someone like her is successful in bearing witness. After all, she has no social standing. Her experience with Jesus is very brief. She has no formal training. She has not been ordained, anointed, or given a proper commissioning. It's a surprise, perhaps, that so many people heed her words. Yet, this unlikely person becomes a witness to Jesus and an effective one. And this fact, this surprising fact, is the point that I'd like to close with this morning. That is, it's true She may be a questionable individual who is full of rough edges. It's true that her understanding of Jesus is far from complete, but it's also true that she bore witness so effectively that while we still do not know her name, we are still talking about her witness and testimony over 2,000 years later. And she is still showing us how we can effectively witness to Jesus the Christ, despite our failures, despite our brokenness, despite our ignorance. You see, we don't need to have our life together in every way. We don't need to know all there is to know. What we can do is tell others of our experiences with the Savior and leave the rest to God. We can help people to look not at us, but to the one who really matters and help them to move closer to him and to hear God's words of love and peace. And then soon enough and rightly enough, those people, like the people from the city of Sychar, those people that we have talked to, they will soon enough and rightly enough altogether disregard us and say, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. God surprises us in many ways, but none is more surprising than our opportunity to witness to Christ in the face of our own experiences, unacceptable and unrighteous though they may be. Amen. The next hymn I'd like to read this morning is Here I Am, Lord. It's number 593 in the United Methodist Hymnal. Please listen to its words. I, the Lord of sea and sky, I have heard my people cry. All who dwell in dark and sin, my hand will save. I who made the stars of night, 
I will make their darkness bright. Who will bear my light to them? Whom shall I send? Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I have heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord, if you lead me. I will hold your people in my heart. I, the Lord of snow and rain, I have borne my people's pain. I have wept for love of them. They turn away. I will break their hearts of stone, give them hearts for love of loan. I I will speak my word to them. Whom shall I send? Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I have heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord, if you lead me. I will hold your people in my heart. I, the Lord of wind and flame, I will tend the poor and lame. I will set a feast for them. My hand will save. Finest bread I will provide till their hearts be satisfied. I will give my life to them. Whom shall I send? Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I have heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord, if you lead me. I will hold your people in my heart. Now would be the time in our service, Plains UMC, in which we ask ushers to come forward and we give our offering. Please know, precious family of Plains, that while our doors are closed at this time for the safety of our at-risk members, that our ministry goes on and bills still need to be paid. I do believe that this is going to be a time that we will look back upon social and Christian history as a time which sounded as a death toll for many a church across our nation. Please, let us do our best to not let Plains UMC become one of those casualties. Please remember to give to your church as you always have. And please remember that your church perhaps needs your faithfulness in giving now more than ever. And so I say to you now, as I say every single week, just as our Almighty God gave entirely of God's self for our sakes, so we are likewise called to give up of ourselves time and time again for the sake of others. Let us pray. O God, our gifts are so minute in comparison to your bounty. Transform our simple offering into ministries that quench parched lives with the water of eternal life. Nurture our need to share your water and your spirit through the gifts you have given us so freely. In the name of the one who is the Messiah, we pray. And all God's children say, Amen. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise God. And now as we so gather around our phones or our computer screens to listen to this podcast, I ask that we please bend the knees of our hearts and and bow our heads before our Creator, Sustainer, and Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O Lord, hear our prayer. O Lord, hear our prayer. When we call 
merciful God, full of grace. Hear our prayers of confession and our prayers of need in these next few moments of silence. Gracious God of the covenant, in the glory of the cross, your son embraced the power of death and broke its hold over your people. During these few weeks of Lent, we pray that you draw us nearer to you, especially during this troubling and confusing time, a time in which we cannot gather together in our church building as we are accustomed to, but have to instead gather around a computer speaker or phone speaker especially during this troubling and confusing time, a time when it feels as if we are drifting and lost without anchor or mooring. But remind us, Lord, that we are the church, not the building. Remind us, Lord, that we are your beloved children, whether coming to the familiar sanctuary or sheltering in place. Remind us, Lord, that you see us always and forever and that you hide us, your people, under the shelter of your wings, and hold us, your people, in the palm of your hand. And so, O God, our God, as we are today separate in location, during these few weeks of Lent, we pray that you continue to draw us ever nearer and ever closer to you so that we may confess Jesus as Lord and put aside the deeds of death by accepting the life of your kingdom. Holy Father of Christ, who bore our shame, give us hope. By your Spirit, fill us with a heart of adoration and thanksgiving for the gift of salvation through your Son. By your Spirit, move us to show others that they are valued and loved and thought of, perhaps in this time that can best be done through handwritten letter or phone call. By your love, help us to show compassion and kindness by giving our leadership the benefit of our doubt. Let us be just and merciful to others, Lord, as you are just and merciful to us. Sovereign Lord, Father of all, you alone can bring into order our chaotic times and jumbled emotions give to us your great comfort and peace. Grant your people the grace to love what you command and desire what you promise that our hearts may surely be fixed where true joys are to be found, that our hearts may be fixed upon you. We pray these things through Jesus Christ our Lord and continue to pray as he taught us to, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our final hymn reading this morning is number 206 from the United Methodist Hymnal. I want to walk as a child of the light. Please listen to these words this morning in light of our word that we share together through scripture 
and through proclamation in the sermon. Please let them touch your heart and shape your spirit. I want to walk as a child of the light. I want to follow Jesus. God set the stars to give light to the world. The star of my life is Jesus. In him there is no darkness at all. The night and day are both alike. The Lamb is the light of the city of God. Shine in my heart, Lord Jesus. I want to see the brightness of God. I want to look at Jesus. Clear sun of righteousness, shine on my path and show me the way to the Father. In him there is no darkness at all. The night and day, they are both alike. The Lamb is the light of the city of God. Shine in my heart, Lord Jesus. I'm looking for the coming of Christ. I want to be with Jesus. When we have run with patience the race, we shall know the joy of Jesus. In him there is no darkness at all. The night and day are both alike. The Lamb is the light of the city of God. Shine in our hearts, Lord Jesus. This is where our worship ends and our service begins. And I do wish I was in Plains' sanctuary this morning to shake a hand and give you all a hug. But let me just say that you are loved, you are thought of, you are prayed for, and our ministry is still going on. May the peace of the Lord be with you. Amen.